when would you say it's a good time to start thinking about, right, I need to hire someone full-time to really grow with me and help me move this business forward? Um, simple answer to that is when you can afford to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a very simple thing that's easily forgotten in, in kind of the heat of building a business. Hello and welcome to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision, and that is to educate, inform, and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Steve, entrepreneur, business strategist, and co-founder at ZoomWorks. ZoomWorks is a niche technology consulting and outsourcing business that works with high-growth, tech-driven companies to create competition-beating technology and implement core digital systems. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship podcast. Uh, today, we're joined by Steve Jackson, who is a co-founder over at ZoomWorks, uh, an honorary professor of entrepreneurship at the Durham University Business School, um, and also has been in and out of entrepreneurship for the past 20 years. So an absolute pleasure to have you on the, sto- the show, Steve. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, yeah, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks very much for having me on the show. Um, so my background, as you say, in entrepreneurship started about 20 years ago. Uh, my background before that is I'd studied physics at university. I, I came out of university not really knowing quite what I wanted to do. So I went into industry for, for seven years uh, in, in IT, largely in sort of support and project management. And then after, after seven years, I decided that um, IT really wasn't very interesting and actually I wanted to get out of IT and do something really exciting. So I thought marketing was the place to go. <laughs> so I decided that um, I was going to do an MBA. So I did that for a year. I came back after my MBA and did what a lot of MBAs do. You either go to the city or you become a consultant. So I decided to become a strategy consultant. I did that for a couple of years. Um, and I realized whilst I was doing that, that, that actually there were people with, with much bigger brains than me who were doing it, and, and it really wasn't quite for me. Um, and this was the end of the 90s. So uh, at this point, I was thinking, well, what do I do now? And um, I realized that uh, I had a background in technology. Uh, I knew something about business, supposedly, from, from my MBA. Uh, I had a bit of strategy consulting. And given this, uh, the, the sort of the, the heat of the the dot-com first dot-com boom i suddenly thought well now now this is the time to start my own business i'd always sort of felt that was what i wanted to do eventually but i suddenly felt i had the confidence to go and do it so um at the end of 1999 i, I left my my job uh, i spent three months putting a business plan together and uh, i started my first business incredible cool um so all right. There, you mentioned there that there's been a variety of businesses that you've sort of been involved with and started up over the years. Um, so jumping into the topic of ideation then. Um, so typically, what is your, I guess, your thought process behind you know, ideation and, and finding, I guess, a, maybe a, a mass problem within a market um, and then coming up with a solution uh, to address that problem? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk probably about uh, not just ideation but innovation as well because I think mm-hmm. people tend to bundle them together. But also, I think there's a lot of mystique about innovation. And uh, for me, uh, somebody cleared that up a few years ago. I was asked to go and talk uh, about about what innovation we had done uh, at Zoomworks, and I and I said, well, that's great, but but what do you mean by innovation? How do you define innovation? Mm. And uh, the guy who was running the session said, well, um, he was a, he was a professor, and he said, um, well, innovation is very simple. It's it's problem solving. So I said to him, well, that, that's kind of great, but you know, how do you, you know, but what problem was Steve Jobs solving with the iPad? And he said, ah, oh, well, that was the genius of Steve Jobs. He was solving problems that people didn't even know they had. <laughs> so I thought that was that was rather good. That kind of set me in good stead. So I thought, well, okay, if if innovation is um, on the, the 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 problem solving spectrum, then then that's much more easy to understand. And I and I think that's the thing about ideation. I think a lot of people, especially people who haven't been entrepreneurs think that ideation is around sitting on beanbags in a darkened room with a wet towel over your head, trying to think of something has never thought of before, uh, something no one has ever thought of before, sorry. And, um, and I don't think that's the case. I think, as you said, it's about problem solving. It's about finding something, uh, a problem that hasn't been solved or hasn't been solved well, or perhaps you could take the angle that a new technology has come available that means you can solve a problem in a different way. But obviously a really, really critical part of this is finding a problem that you can solve that people are willing to part with money for. Because mm. if, if, if it's just a nice to have and not something that, uh, that people are willing to part with money for, uh, and even if you're in a social enterprise, by the way, um, then that's probably not a great, great business idea. Yeah, interesting. And so I guess there was probably... Um, a big difference in in sort of your understanding and approach to innovation and ideation towards you know the beginning parts of when you first jumped into to creating a business to to now um, being involved with Zoom work. So, how do you think that perspective um, has has changed over the years for yourself, or has it always stayed the same? Ideation uh, at the beginning, I. I... I, I think I think for us it was very much a an opportunistic thing, and um, and I have to say that you know a lot of the things that that you know I've done over the years or we've done over the years have been uh, opportunistic. So we've not always gone out and you know as as lots of um, you know people who who've done MBAs would have think that you go out and you analyze a market to death and and you find that gap and whatever. Now that's a very valid way of going. That's an extremely valid way of going, and I would never knock that. However, there's nothing wrong with somebody coming knocking on your door and saying, "I need this. Is this something you can provide?" You suddenly go, "Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that before. That's great." Mm. Um, so I, I think that's a very, very valid way of going. I think the way uh, I think the way it's changed for me over the last twenty years. I think initially we we saw a we we, we jumped on what, what was called at the time the B two B technologies. And we, we thought, well, you know, this, there's just a gap in the market in that people aren't doing this. We didn't think too, uh, too hard about how strategically defensive that was. I mean, services business are, you know, are typically quite difficult to, uh, to defend, but we, we thought about lots of things that we, we, we could possibly do and building a company with the right culture was a fantastically important part of that. Um, I think it depends. I mean, I think if you're, I, I think if, if, you're, if you're more a product or a service, uh, business, 
then I think you know having product market fit between your, your product and your market is, is obviously extremely important. Mm. The good thing about services is you can be quite flexible. I'm not saying you should ever go to market as a services business saying we can do anything that you want. What do you want? You know, that's that's crazy stuff. You've always got to be going in and having an angle, having a an inverted commas, a, a product, even, even if that product is, is a service-based offering. So I suppose in summary, um, yes, I've become I've become more of uh, more um, of the view that analysis is important, but much more importantly than that is you know go out and test it with the market. Go out if you think you've got an idea, go and test it with, with clients really really quickly. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and we touched a little bit on on ZoomWorks there um, in in sort of that answer. So exactly what it is, what is it that you guys are, are doing over there at ZoomWorks at the moment? So uh, as I said, we, we've got uh, uh, three businesses. One one's a, a nascent security business, which is uh, which is really in its very early stages. The two core parts of ZoomWorks we have ZoomWorks technology. Um, and that is, uh, it's a provider of, uh, of products and uh, software development services for technology-driven companies. So in other words, what we don't do is go in and, um, you know, say, well, you know, we can save uh, a company a lot of money by running their Office 365 a bit cheaper or something like that. It's not about that. What it is about is having a very bright bunch of technologists and product people who can help companies who who see value in technology. So companies whose income uh, is based on uh, having a really good roadmap and getting good product to market uh, better and quicker than their competitors. So those are the sorts of companies that, that we help. So they're, they're usually the digitally native companies, but there are also a lot of companies who have uh, great aspirations of becoming more digital and becoming more digital rapidly. Um, and then the other part of our business is Zoomworks procurement, and that's uh, that's basically, as I said, that that goes and helps large companies, largely FTSE 100, Fortune 500 companies, uh, buy stuff that companies buy cheaper and better than they've been doing it before. Yeah, cool. Um, so, of course, over the years, um, you, you've been involved in a variety of different uh, projects. So, it would be interesting to talk a little bit about investment at this point. Um, you know, typically on the podcast, we, we talk about sort of initial investment and how people have gone about seeking that investment, and whether or not, you know, the playoff between sort of silent or sleeping money and, and smart money and stuff like that. So, you know, in, what's your view on investment at the moment, I guess, is the question I would ask, um, you know, how, how do you view the landscape right now? Um, I, th- I think that's a, I th- we, you know, we could spend a couple of hours on this one. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think it depends as to sort of where you're looking. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the investment landscape between the US and Europe has always been very, very different. Um, I think the investment landscape between um, certainly, you know, early stage business, you know, what, what constitutes an early stage business? At what point do you start getting uh, venture capital involved? You know, that sort of thing. But in, in general, I'd, I'd say to people, if, if, if you're looking to, you're looking to raise money and especially if you're running a, a technology business which is where most of my experience lies um i think it's i think it's changed a lot over the last 20 years i mean 20 years ago when we first raised money we we went with a very nice presentation and myself and my business partner and we went with an idea and we we, we had had some conversations with some uh software companies and 
and we went there and we were pitching our, our thing. And you could raise money like that. Now, now that is that is simply not possible, if, uh, especially if you're a product-based business. Um, you know, the, the, the cost of actually getting uh, an MVP or, or not even an MVP, a proof of concept out. So something people have something more than a PowerPoint to, to sort yeah. of you know, touch and feel and, and, and really get people excited in. That, that is, the cost of doing that has gone down dramatically over the last 20 years. So, so now people expect something that they can feel they can touch, like I said, a proof of concept. Um, but also people expect that to be, uh, the, you know, the idea of, of the, the friends and family round um, that, that I think is a, a critical part of this and people have to be, uh, or the majority of people have to uh, at least bootstrap themselves up initially or be prepared to do that. Going out and raising money with nothing is, is a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, and then after that, I think uh, angel networks have become a, an extremely uh, important part of the whole ecosystem. So I think, you know, very rough numbers, but, you know, if you're raising anywhere between, I don't know, you know, 10,000 and you know, 100,000, you know, okay, that's, that's potentially uh, friends and family, anywhere between uh, 50 and a million, that's probably angels, anywhere over a million angels can probably do it, but you know, you're, you're probably starting to move into the, the, the VC world. Um, so, so I think, and, and, and each of those different categories of uh, uh, finance sources require a different pitch they require you know they, they, they invest for different reasons so friends and family you know they want to do it probably because it's a bit of fun and they want to support you angels do it usually because they think they can put a bit of expertise into it not just the money vcs um uh, you know typically they they are running a venture capital business and they want to see a return on their money so yeah. that's not a bad thing it's just you've got to understand that's why they're they're there they're not typically there to put an arm around you when things are going wrong and saying they're there, don't worry about it. Those are the guys that are going to be pushing you extremely hard. You know, so if you and if you go down that route, it's fine, but you've just got to go down it with your with your eyes open. Yeah, absolutely. So one question I'd like to ask here. So there's of course many different routes in which you can go about investment. So when you're starting out and when you're starting to plan everything, how do you uh, figure out what is the best way for you to do that? Would you have any tips on that? As in when, when you're planning, which is the best route for finance? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think part of that is is obviously the amount you're trying to raise. Um, I think it's it partly comes down to uh, your your network. So again, this is the whole sort of bootstrapping thing. If you happen to have um, access to a whole bunch of friends that are working in the city and have you know, well, certainly used to have you know large sums of money to invest in things. Well, you're in a very different position than you know, someone who's just come fresh out of school as a 16 year old and has an idea, um, you know, who, whose network probably isn't, isn't that great. So those are the sort of people who are gonna be relying much more on, on friends and family. Um, so, sorry, uh, family rather than friends, I should say. So <laughs> uh, I think a lot of it's down to your circumstances, a lot of it's down, I mean, one thing I've, again, I've, I've discovered is the power of the network, um, you know, has been repeated to me again and again over the years. Uh, having a having a strong network is a fantastic thing. Not, not necessarily because those people might provide money, but because those people might know people with money. They mm -hmm. might be able to give you advice about the best way of raising money. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I think so. I think that the networks are very important. 
it. So, so in summary, I think what I'm saying is it really depends on your, your circumstances on what you're trying to achieve, obviously. I mean, you know, certain, certain business, if you, if you want to build a car factory, you know, <clears throat> getting getting a hundred thousand pound investment for uh, starting your factory probably isn't going to be enough. You know, uh, you're talking straight into the big money. Yeah. So, uh, but but getting together an app to I don't know manage you know your your uh, hobby whatever it is you know that that's a much more modest thing to do. So so I, I think it depends. Is the answer depends on what you're trying to do. It depends on your your background and circumstance, and it depends on your your network. Cool. And you actually, you mentioned there sort of the power of the network and, mm-hmm. and your own personal network. So um, that's a, a super interesting concept. Um, and it's something that I think, you know, over the past years, Anna and I having the, the marketing agency have, have really been uh, forced to face um, in some way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, for people who I guess are, are stuck in sort of, let's say like an office job or, or the corporate world, um, you know, they're, they're sort of siloed off in one small part of a much larger uh, playing field. You know, how would you advise someone like that to, to start um, understanding, let's say, you know, or, or dipping their toes into the world of investment, dipping their toes into building up uh, sort of a, a network of people that could then, help them further along down the line when they do come up with an idea or when they are ready to make that switch into say the field of entrepreneurship so yeah in terms of sort of building your your network i suppose the the closer you get to to launching a business the the more clarity comes as to who will be really useful members of your network so up until that point if you're someone who you know, like me, probably originally, I, you know, I, I just, I just wanted to start a business. I almost didn't mind what it was. Uh, it became very, you know, rapidly apparent that a technology business was probably going to be the thing that I was going to succeed or have the best chance of succeeding in. Um, but, but I was just passionate to, to, to be my own boss to, to run a business. So, I think um, whilst people are, you know, employed by other people, I mean, certainly certainly assuming they have an idea of which industry they want to be in, um, who their customers might be. The idea of, of building a broad network is probably not a bad one. Uh, building a, a broad network of people who can advise you in lots of different ways. So whether that might be you know, from an illegal and accounting perspective, whether that might be from potential customers, obviously that's critical. People who are in the industry who might be, uh, who might be uh, potential partners for you. All of these things are really important to start building up. And I don't think there's any anything really, uh, an, any easy way of doing it. It does take time. Yeah. It does take a lot of legwork. It takes a lot of effort. I mean, certainly in a, in a non-COVID world, going out and, and you know meeting people face-to-face and giving them your elevator pitch and all that sort of stuff is, it, there's nothing to beat that uh, for, for building your network and knowing that, you know, every... You know, four out of five people are going to sort of smile and walk away. Um, you know, and that then you get a one in five that goes, "Hey, that actually sounds interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that." So, um, so yeah, so a network is not something that's built up quickly. It's something that people, you know, should be thinking about as soon as they have a, a focus on where they want to go. Obviously, that will will help a lot with the sorts of people they want to be uh, connected with. But the other thing I would say about networks that uh, that I think is very important is that people often ignore the network they immediately have around them. So, for example, um, you know, somebody might be working in a, in a day job, but they think, well, I'm going to go and do a, my business somewhere. 
the last thing that I can do is talk to anybody in the business. Um, and okay, the, the, you've got to be careful with your timing here. But when you do announce to your boss you're leaving, you know, hey, what about saying, but listen, you know, I'd love to get some proper advice from you. Or, you know, hey, maybe you might be my first customer. Or, you know, hey, maybe you can run my advisory board or whatever it might be. So um, I think you've got constantly got to be assessing um, how to build a network. Yeah, incredible. Um, okay, so jumping back into sort of the, the typical flow of the podcast, talking a little bit about MVPs. Um, so, you know, we've already mentioned that it comes into play um, slightly after sort of establishing that proof of concept, especially when trying to look for investment and things like that. Um, but certainly like for tech companies nowadays, developing that MVP and getting something out to market as soon as possible to start understanding, you know, is this something worth uh, investing time in? Or, you know, if we're, we're certain this is the thing we want to do, what do we need to change? And understanding once you get users within that environment, how do they behave? Um, it's, it's such an incredibly crucial thing uh, to, to so many, I guess it has a knock-on effect on so many other parts of the business um, and what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, where do you think it, it typically comes in um, when you are sort of starting up your, your tech company? Um, is it something that, you know, it comes in maybe, um, it's the first thing that you should aim to to create um, or is it something where you know maybe you should go seek investment first and then look to create that afterwards I mean from my opinion it's 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 kind of like a playoff on skill sets that you have already within that co-founding team um, if you have the luxury i mean we were speaking to someone else on the show um and they had the incredible luxury of like having a co-founder who was their cto um who owned his own software development company right so like straight away they already they didn't have to go out and seek investment to actually start building this product but yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah so um i think i think i touched on this a little bit earlier i mean everybody with you know unless you're raising money from your your very close family mm -hmm. um, and, and possibly some friends, you know, you really do have to have a product these days. And you're right, if you have a, uh, a technical co-founder, that, that's a huge advantage. So, uh, you know, that's all, that's all fantastic. Um, I think getting your MVP, I think it is, I think it is, I wouldn't say it's all about the MVP, that's probably a very dangerous thing to say, but, <laughs> but as, as a founder, your focus has to be on the, the the product market fit, and you know, are you talking to the right people? Are you talking? Are, you know, are these people really your clients? What's your what's your business model going to look like? Refining all that stuff is absolutely critical, and having an MVP to focus on to allow you to do that, um, I think, is really really critical. I mean, the other thing I would say is that you know that, that there are you know different ways. I mean, so for example, Zoomworks that we we, we have partnered with. Uh, with startups, uh, admittedly only funded ones, um, which then allows them to get a product to market, you know, uh, usually a lot quicker, uh, a lot better than they might be able to afford to do themselves. So, so there are, all I'm saying is there are other routes of doing, you know, if you haven't got a, a tech um, uh, co-founder. Oh, and, you know, and, and there are all sorts of ways that I'm sure everybody's aware these days, you know, there are great, you know, getting coders for hire and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, down that route, you're not quite sure what you're getting, but you can get some great value for money if you go that way. And certainly the proof of concept stage where you're really trying to knock anything together that vaguely gives an idea about what you're trying to do. You know, again, that, that is, a, is, is a very good route. 
Yeah, incredible. And that leads us quite nicely onto the the topic of branding, I think, um, because I think, yeah, we've established that, you know, getting this MVP uh, up and running is, is an incredibly important part to sort of any tech startup and um, their, I guess, range of tools that they have available to, for them. Um, but when it comes to the topic of branding, um, you know, when do you think that should come into the conversation? Is that something, because we've spoken to, to quite a few startups um, at this point on the show and everyone has slightly, um, or, or I guess there's a couple schools of thought behind this um, or realities. So some people have, have really fought for this at the very beginning of their journey and mapped this out in thorough detail, understood exactly what, you know, their brand stands for, you know, how, I guess it, it comes from an understanding of how they're going to market their product in the future. Um, and of course, a deeper understanding of um, who the consumer is um, or who the business is exactly that's going to benefit the most from, you know, using their product. Um, and then there's, there's another sort of side to it, which is those who they've got a really good idea. They understand who it is that their, their product solves the problem for, but you know, their main focus is just like, let's get this up and running and then we can put lipstick on it later. So, you know, when do you think it needs to come into the, the conversation and, and really become a real thing? I, that is a really tricky question to answer mm. succinctly. I think, I, I guess my view on this is, um, from a, most of the businesses I've been involved in have been B2B businesses. Uh, there have been some B2C ones. Um, typically, I my focus has always been on product ahead of, of brand. Having said that, I think the brand these days, I think is a very different brand to, to or the considerations around, I, I think very different to how they used to be. I mean, for me, certainly in a, in a services business, the, you know, our brand at Zoomworks, the, the, you know, which we which we're very proud of. Uh, I mean, the name's a bit odd, but you know, hey, back at the you know the end of the nineties, that you kind of had to have a wacky name, and a .com, and whatever. But anyway, <laughs> um, and people always ask how to spell it as well, so uh, they tend to remember it. But uh, no, but slightly more seriously, the the I, I think these days brand is important um, because it's not, not well. Partly because it, it, you know, what do you stand for? What's what's your business's true purpose? And I think, and I think, uh, certainly employees are very keen to know that. But more and more consumers are going to, to to value that, and B two B businesses as well. You know, so we get often asked now, you know, what what are what are the what are the values of your business? And in fact, you know, when I get, a lot of what I do in the business now is around uh, business development in its broader sense, but that does include going and talking to potential clients and. You know, if, the, if, if, if I show them a, a sales pack, you know, my slide number two on it, I think is the, these are the values of the company. Mm -hmm. And I usually get one of two responses to that. It's like, yeah, 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 where's the price list? <laughs> or, or that's interesting. Wow. Why, why have you put that up? Or mm. potentially even, wow, that's great. Those look very similar to the ones we have. Yeah. And it's either, either of the last two. It's fantastic. It's just great. You, you know... You know you've got engagement there straight away, um, and if it's the first one, um, usually we sort of back out of the room. Quite <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, so, so going back to your to your original question, I, I think timing. I think is I, I don't know if I'd be the best person to answer that. I suppose in, if I had, if I, if you actually pin me down, I think if you've got a consumer facing brand. 
I think it's probably you need to start thinking about it much earlier on. If you've got a, a B2B brand, you can probably do it a bit later. But 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 certainly in terms of uh, vision, values, that sort of stuff, the stuff that sits behind the brand, that I think is absolutely critical very early on. Not only will it it will it attract consumers uh, or clients to you, but also it'll help you in your in your early days recruiting. Uh, you know your, your most valuable asset, which is always going to be your staff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's that's actually really incredible because uh, it it definitely helps to build the business out as well as portray the right image to the to the world. And so, just very quickly touching on. Um, team building then since we mentioned that already so um in terms of um growing your team um when do you think um it's a good time to to really start thinking about bringing on full-time employees because of course at the beginning you have to find your your co-founders or this sort of funding group whether it's advisors or people who can really help you get this off the ground but when would you say it's a good time to start thinking about right i need to hire someone full-time to really grow with me and help me move this business forward um, simple answer to that is when you can afford to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think, I, you know, it, it's a very simple thing. It's easily forgotten in, in kind of the heat of building a business. Um, be very, very, very careful about spending money that you haven't actually got in the bank. Now, that does slow you down significantly. But if it's, oh, it's, it, I'll tell you what, we'll hire a, uh, you know, a marketing person um because by the time you know because because we, 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 our sales uh, which we haven't sold any yet but our sales about to start in three months time so by the time we get to you know our first sale our money will be running out but it's okay because we have money coming in yeah <laughs> no, no sorry no no no, no. um uh, you know so so in in the early stages it's very difficult you know and uh i mean to, to be honest in, in the early days the most important thing ultimately, which a lot of this feeds into, is sales. So, uh, uh, and, and, and the other thing I, you know, we, we're talking about sort of getting people on, so it's slightly off the subject, but I think it's a really important point. A lot of people feel that, you know, that they started a business, they've got their product, they think they've just about got product market fit, right? Brilliant, we'll get a salesperson. Now, what <laughs> <laughs> I've learned over the years is that, and, and, and this is- If only it were that around, simple. <laughs> there was a great story when, when, when started the first business that we'd hired some salespeople and some professional salespeople. They hadn't sold anything in over two years. We got rid of them. We were sitting in the boardroom one day and, um, you know, I, and I said, look, you know, someone's going to have to look after sales. Who's it going to be? And I was looking around at my uh, fellow directors and I realized everyone was looking at me. And I thought, <laughs> no, 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 no way. I'm not doing sales. No, absolutely not. No, I just, no. Anyway, I thought about it and I thought, okay, well, no, probably I am the person to do it. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst of a bad bunch. So, so sorry, best of a bad bunch. But anyway, but um, uh, you know, on on the sales front, so maybe, maybe I ought to do this. Anyway, and I I called up a friend of mine who'd been extremely successful in sales, and and I said to him, right, you know, you have to tell me everything you know about sales because I'm I'm going to have to stop selling. And he said, right, okay, not a problem. And we went out for a curry and a couple of beers. And a couple of pomodoms later, I said to him, right, come on, you know, we've only got a couple of hours left, so you better start telling me everything you know about sales. He said, right, Steve, it's very simple. People buy from people. And I said, brilliant, that's great. I'll write that down. That's really <laughs> that's yeah, I like that, right. Okay, what's next? He said, no, that's it. Yeah. 
And the reason I'm telling you that story is that is you know that, that there is no magic to sales. Uh, there is definitely a process, um, and it's good to to follow that process or you know develop that process, whatever. But, but what I'm coming around to is, is as a founder of a company, the number one salesperson is you. If you cannot sell your product or service, hiring a salesperson isn't going to make a bean of difference. It's simply yeah. not going to change anything at all. If you can't sell it, you haven't got product market fit. It's as simple as that. So, you know, Huge. number one person, you know, so, so so when you're selling stuff and you're generating cash, that's when you start bringing, thinking of bringing other people in. Or you, you've you proved to other people that you've got some momentum here. There is potential market traction. Potentially you've got letters of intent from businesses and then you can get some funding. Yeah. Incredible. Otherwise, otherwise, you just simply have to be creative with your with your uh, founders' equity and stock options. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that sort of leads into actually another question that I really like to ask um, to sort of other or, or agency or service provider um, company owners. So, you know, what's your opinion on bringing roles in house or working with external agencies? I guess it's like. You know, this has been a, a massive argument for for years, as far as I can tell. But um, having started an agency, you know, five years ago, it's, it's always been at the at the top of Google and always in my newsfeed, probably because the algorithm. But at the same time, yeah, you know, what what's sort of your your stance on that? When should you know, if if I'm a, a startup founder and I've got like two or three other co-founders, um, and and let's let's use marketing for an example here. Um, it could be software development as as well. Um, you know, when should I start or should I consider hiring an external agency to work with me? Um, and if I do choose that external route, when should I start bringing these roles in house? Um, yeah. Um. Again, it's, it's one of those ones that sort of it, it depends is the answer. Yeah. Um, I think I think people have got much more used to using external uh, agencies or, or third party, whether would you say whether it's, it's marketing and PR or whether it's uh, software development like 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 we do. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a number of drivers for this. So you know, typically we work for for for. I mean, I'll, I'll describe our own situation first because because I, I think that's sure. a possible place to yeah. start. So, you know, for us, we, we typically work with, with companies who are trying to do something uh, faster than they could have done it before. So um, th they might also be looking for expertise. They might also want to be keeping their costs down. There are a number of reasons, but typically what they're trying to do is get, get a product to market that they can't do. Now, the, the reason why that might be is that they can't find people with the, the skills where, they, where they're based. Um, they uh, find that they can find people with the skills, or it's too expensive. Um, so you know, it, it's you know, it, it's that sort of thing. Or or, the, or they're looking for um, expertise. They're looking for organisations, and they say, well, you know, we work in I don't know whatever it might be the uh, you know sort of um, uh, uh, you know transportation business, but actually we value organisations who have worked not just in transportation but in something else as well. And they can say, well, this way you do this in transportation, but you know, in in uh, I don't know online gaming, you you do this a different way. But oh, right, right, you know, unless I'd, I'd engage with you guys as a third party, I, I would never know that. Mm -hmm. So, so I think um, I think there are lots of reasons why people get driven down this uh, this route. I think uh, uh, expertise is obviously a, a big one. I, I'm firmly of the view that you that 
well, however big you get, I, I guess if you're, you know, really up at the, in the FTSE 100, you probably don't need to think about this, but, you know, you, you've got to think really carefully about bringing stuff in house. If it's working externally, why bring it in a house? You know, um, I mean, okay, if you can buy the company that's that's providing that service, so you have them in house, well, fine. <laughs> that's you, nice. Yeah, yeah, I say if you're big enough to do that, that's yeah. that's great. But you know, if if you've got uh, people who are you know external who and, and and it all comes down with any service businesses, you know, like the sort of, that we run, it all comes down to trust. You know, and if you've got an external company that you you trust, I don't mean just trust one individual, but you trust the whole organisation and they trust you. It's a two way thing then, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful relationship and that's not one that should be messed with lightly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, if I could sort of picture um, some of the points there, so it's like a playoff between expertise and skill, uh, speed and budget. And it's sort of just like trying to, you know, depending on your situation, whichever ones have more priority, that can help determine sort of which decision you go down with uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, in 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 sort of technology outsourcing, we, we, we talk about we typically about four trade-offs. So it's it's cost, quality, location, and speed. So okay. you know, cost is pretty obvious. Uh, quality is I don't just mean the best available. I mean what's appropriate for what you're trying to do. Um, lo, uh, uh, location, obviously, where where are people based? Some people still insist in having people in the office. You know, obviously, COVID's thrown that on its head. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other thing is speed. How quickly do you need this doing? Um, if you need it Monday morning, you're going to have a very different conversation with someone as if you're thinking about something in about 12 months' time. Yeah. So those things. And, and the key point there is they're trade-offs. You can't have all four. So in okay. other words, you can't have something that's a mega high quality uh, based in your office, uh, low cost on, on Monday morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what, what are you willing to trade off? And once, once organizations understand that, then it makes selecting partners again trusting being really 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 important but it makes selecting partners a lot easier yeah cool awesome so all right then i mean before we sort of um jump into to wrapping up the show then um i would say you know it, it would be interesting to to dive into to your journey specifically over the, the past few years and try and distill some some major nuggets um, of, of, I guess, advice and information for those who are essentially trying to start their own um, tech startups or, or maybe they're already sort of down that journey already. Um, yeah, what, what would some of those, I guess, major things or, or what were some of the bigger problems that you've, you've noticed could have been reoccurring uh, that you've managed to solve? Um, okay, I mean, I can probably, I can probably summarize this. Yeah. I've, got load, I've got a load of lessons. You know, can you summarize uh, 20 minutes, 20 years <laughs> in two minutes? You, 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 you definitely learn lessons from things you do wrong. And I, I quite openly admit I've done lots and lots of things wrong. So I've learned a great deal of stuff, which is fantastic. Um, the, the one thing I'd, I'd say, especially to you know, people who are in the early days, but, but I, I, think, I think this... I think this does, you know, uh, uh, work in all parts of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, is you know the, the thing I'd learned more than anything is manage risk. Mm. That's the key thing. So, so a lot of people uh, have this idea that you know being an entrepreneur is you know it's it's, it's all about taking big gambles and you know am I going to you know sort of uh, put all my money on or red or black and you know is it you know in the casino you know you know what, what, you know, what, what am I going to do and. And, and I think uh, the media and particularly, uh, you know, shows like The Apprentice have been terrible about 
this. You know, it's all about hiring and firing, and you know, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm the guy with you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the guy that that, that that runs the thing, and you know, and, and they forget about all the kind of really important things like you know, teamwork, and, you know, uh, and, and 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 all this kind of stuff. Um, the fact is, it's any 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 entrepreneurial business, any any startup business, is a highly highly risky venture. And you know, and I know sort of quote figures. I'm sure everybody knows them. You know, your your chance of success, very sadly, is quite low. It's certainly you know uh, uh, you know there, there is you know very significant risk involved. So so um, the, the best way of succeeding, you know, let's say the you know the average chance of a business succeeding is let's say fifty percent, for the sake of argument, you know. Um, I mean, I can't, even though I've been an entrepreneur for, for 20 years, I cannot tell anybody how to have a successful business. They've kind of got to work that bit out for themselves. What I can do, and what lots of other entrepreneurs, you know, can do, and, you know, if, if, if you've got a, a mentors, or look at mentors, always, you know, look for entrepreneurs who've you know, had lots of experience. What they can do is they can try and flag up the things that will reduce your risk elsewhere. So, you know, if I make a bad hire, all of a sudden my chance of success now goes down to 45%. If I make a good hire, it goes up to 55%. It's not going to be hundred percent. This can never be hundred percent because we don't we don't know how you know that there is no sort of magic way of creating you know the perfect business. So it's managing risk, but also it's things like um, you know from a personal level. If you're if you're starting a business, and especially if it's your first one, be very careful. You know because chances are it, it's not going to succeed. Sadly, you know there is a very high chance. Sorry, that sounds like a very negative thing, yeah. but there is a very high chance it's not going to succeed. And and that's not you know. And, and, and when I started my first business, I remember hearing somebody tell me this uh, at an event and just thinking, well, that's rubbish. I'm going to work so hard that I'm that I'm going to make my own luck, and it's it's all going to be you know fantastic. Because again, people talk about entrepreneurs. You know, there's a lot of luck involved. And I thought that was a load of rubbish. Sadly, it took me 10 years to realize it's absolutely true. And, and luck is, it's not just about, you know, do I meet the right person on the right day? There is a bit of that, but it's a lot about timing. You know, so do I hit the market with my product at the right time? And that's, you know, we've been burned very badly when we've got that wrong. And you look at hindsight and you go, oh, if only we'd done that six months earlier, or if only we'd done that six months later. But that's hindsight. So, so uh, where was I going with all this? So, so managing risk is really important. Um, uh, you know, luck and timing, sadly, are, you know, a very large part of whether you'd be successful. You can't completely lock those down, you know, unless you have a crystal ball, you, you will never know what the perfect timing is. But you know what, you can just give yourself an extra percentage here and there that will just give you a better chance of success. So a massive thank you to Steve for speaking to us. You can find Zoomworks online at zoomworks.com. That's Zoom with an X. You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at HeyBlueDrop on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.